Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Walker. Uh, really big fan of all your tweets, what you're building with Hello Moon. And so uh, excited for this podcast episode. Well, thank you. Um, we're big fans of the podcast. We're also big fans of what uh, you and Solana Legend are doing over at Frictionless. So excited to, um, excited to, to be on. Appreciate it. I think we're both uh, warriors of trying to uh, fight the FUD, uh, as there is a lot of. So uh, definitely appreciate your help and support there as well. Fight but the before, FUD. Oh, yeah. so they fight the FUD, spread the good word. You know, like we're uh, we're like the modern missionaries, right? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we try, we try. Um, but I, before kind of jumping into like a lot of like what you're building, uh, I would love to learn a little bit more about you and kind of how you got involved in the crypto space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before founding Hello Moon, I'd spent almost a decade doing um, basically enterprise software, private equity. Um, and so, you know, I was on, you know, I, a bunch of different board of directors um, and was just very involved with, um, you know, I guess at the beginning of my career, first thinking about investing and how do you invest successfully, et cetera. And then I realized kind of from there that, you know, picking the right company at the right time at the right valuation is important. Um, but who's doing what, you know, post-investment is also important. So <clears throat> started to get more involved with, um, with the operations of our portfolio companies. Um, and then um, over time realized that, you know, the, the best way to control that was if, you know, maybe it was me. Uh, and so started thinking pretty, pretty heavily about, uh, about entrepreneurship, you know, starting a business, et cetera. And basically kind of the conclusion was that, you know, if I'm going to start a business and it's not in crypto, you know, it's, it's going to be legacy, you know, sometime in the next two, three years. It was kind of a crypto was kind of a no brainer. Specifically on the crypto side, uh, what got you so excited? I think it's kind of like a, a pretty deep rabbit hole once you get into it and it's uh, hard to get out. But I'm curious, like, were there any particular moments uh, that you were like, all right, like this crypto stuff is going on and I have to be involved? Yeah. So I guess I'll go back to the beginning of my experience with, with crypto, which is right after graduating, I was living in San Francisco um, and one of my neighbors, um, you know, who now is pretty well known, but, but, but back in the day was just some guy with a Bitcoin exchange, uh, you know, was Brian Armstrong, uh, you know, so he founded Coinbase and, um, you know, was basically kind of back then the way that I thought about it was like, you know, Brian's like such a smart guy, you know, why does he want to dedicate his life to helping people buy and sell drugs on the Silk Road? Uh, <laughs> so that was kind of like take one. And I think honestly, that was, that was probably a pretty valid take back then. Um, but, you know, kept watching pretty closely for for a number of years. Um, but I'd always thought of crypto as basically a way to do, th you know, exchange money anonymously on one hand or on the other hand, um, you know, speculate on prices um, and, and try to make money trading. And so what, what really kind of hooked me in um, was realizing that actually the reason more and more people were using crypto the reason that, you know, I was reading about it in the news every day um, wasn't because people thought the price was going to go up, but because basically this was a new paradigm of computing, um, a new way of building, you know, network effects among humans. Uh, and that, um, you know, basically that kind of a new Internet was being created. And so as soon as I realized that, like, it's kind of it's kind of hard to look away um, to your point. Uh, and so basically became obsessed Um and if you're looking at and just kind of thinking about how does this relate to Solana, you know, if you're thinking about crypto from the perspective of the future of computing, the future, you know, a new version of the Internet, et cetera, um, Solana itself was kind of a no brainer. I mean, like, you know, most 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 scalable layer one by far. Um, uh, really, like if, if that's your vision for crypto, there's really was only one option. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how I ended up, ended up on Solana. Awesome. Was there any particular moment uh, that got you excited or did you kind of just kind of over time build up the conviction to make the jump? I personally got involved in 2017 and then just kept with it throughout the bear market and uh, decided to go full time once the bull market started. But I'm, I'm curious uh, about yourself. Yeah. So I kind of I've been increasingly curious. Um, 
And so I was thinking, you know, I'd gone from thinking about crypto as a way to buy things anonymously on the internet or speculate on prices to the future of the internet, future of computing, et cetera. Um, and then one day I joined the Solana um, NFT Discord. And, uh, and that was like mind blowing. Um, and I think it actually was pesky penguins. And I remember like everybody was yelling newt and everybody was yelling delist and everybody was like, um, screaming about people who were undercutting on the floor. And, uh, and there was just such a clear, vibrant community of people who were like-minded and, um, just having fun together but also who were kind of circling around um, mutual financial alignment, uh, which, which felt like it kind of amplified everything. And so that kind of, that's what really hooked me into, um, that's what really kind of hooked me into Solana. And um, like, I would say like doubled my conviction. Um, at the same time, um, I was, you know, I was kind of a little fed up with, with what I'd been doing. Uh, in, in private equity and was, you know, kind of felt like, um, you know, felt like I was ready for, for something new. Um, and I guess as these things go, I, I spent a week in Mykonos with some friends, you know, and, uh, and, you know, basically realized, Hey, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these, a lot of these people have founded their own company. Um, and basically they ended up saying, Hey, look, we'll back you to start a company. doesn't matter if you don't have an idea. It doesn't matter, you know, if you don't have a plan. Um, so that caused me to like really double click into um, actually, you know, starting a company on Solana, if you will. Those are some good friends. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would love to learn more. Um, yeah, the Solana community it was super vibrant. I kind of came at it from a technical approach and was really amazed by the capabilities. But uh, when you decided to build Hello Moon, was there really any other kind of blockchains or ecosystems that you were evaluating at the time? Or after kind of some of your interactions with the early community uh, on the NFT side, or were you just convinced from uh, the community aspect? Um, no, so I definitely looked at other chains. Um, and so what was interesting to me about Solana is, well, so I guess I, I kind of approached it in, in two ways. So the first thing that caught my attention about Solana was basically if, if your vision for crypto is that it's the future of the internet, mass adoption, et cetera, Solana is kind of the only, the only layer one, at least today, that, that's viable. So that kind of, that kind of caught my interest initially. Um, and then the more that I learned about Solana, the more that I, made, I kind of I, the more that I learned about Solana, the more that I realized there actually was a pretty interesting opportunity for startups on Solana. Um, so as you, as you probably, as you know very well, um, Solana is fundamentally different from EVM in a number of ways. Um, I think the way, I think Solana's data model is probably the most pronounced difference. Um, and so basically what I realized is that, you know, if you were a big incumbent Ethereum data provider or an EVM data provider, you actually probably had a disadvantage building data, a data company on Solana relative to a startup. Um, and so that kind of got me very interested because I realized like, hey, um, I realized a few things. I realized, first of all, there's, there's kind of a walled garden aspect that protects you from, you know, competition from, you know, big established uh, players on other chains. Uh, but then also kind of Solana data is so complicated and so, um, Basically, it's almost like it's like a novel computer science problem, in effect. And, and so I realized that the only way that a company was going to actually be able to do a good job with the data on Solana is if that company was built in kind of an institutional uh, institutional way. So this is not something that, you know, like two guys and a dog in a, in a, in a basement could really make a dent on. You really needed an organization that was built to scale and that had... Um, you know, a team of software developers with basically institutional backgrounds. And so that also got me very excited. Basically, I realized that it's going to be very difficult for an EVM incumbent to, to do it, A, and B, it's going to be very difficult for kind of like a small, scrappy startup to do it. You're going to need something kind of in between. Um, and that's what I'd spent, you know, a decade doing. And so, it, it, you know, it felt like um, it felt very interesting. Definitely. Now, I'm very appreciative of the product that you've built with Hello Moon. Uh, I personally, just coming from the product background in tech, um, 
am very interested in the metrics and kind of following along with things that are happening on chain. And uh, Hello Moon is a fantastic resource for that. So, and I'm particularly interested in like the unique signers. And so um, it's, it's definitely helpful. Uh, maybe. Oh, actually, yeah, go ahead. So on that front, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm the same. Uh, so I, you know, I've been very data focused and, you know, when I was investing and, um, so I remember I was trying to put together a pitch book for Hello Moon, which by the way, if you're thinking about building a company, you don't need a pitch book, I've learned. But um, I was thinking about putting a pitch book together for Hello Moon, and I wanted to show how important the Solana market was, how fast it was growing, um, and why this is going to be an important product. And I wasn't able to find the number of users. I wasn't able to find the volume. Like back then, you really couldn't get data on Solana other than, uh, I guess, price and you know volume of sold. Um, and so that was, you know, that kind of like, I was like, well, how can you have a $10 billion market cap um, entity with probably $10 billion of market cap, you know, internally, right? And not even have the most basic visibility into what's happening. So that was, that was also kind of an, an interesting moment for me. Definitely. Uh, and a, a great emphasis to uh, start the company. So maybe um, talked a little bit about your background, how you got into crypto and some of the insights that you had to kind of start the company. But maybe on a high level, could you touch upon what Hello Moon is, uh, what yeah. your vision is, and what you want it ultimately to kind of become? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Hello Moon is basically a, um, a data infrastructure company. So when I think about, you know, what is our core product? Um, our core product really is highly flexible data infrastructure. Um, and so... For people who are big into Solana NFTs or who are in the Solana you know, ecosystem, they're probably familiar with our website, hellomoon.io. Um, the reality is that that's actually the only part of our business that we're not monetizing. Um, we have you know, 10, 15% of our engineering resources on it. Um, and what we're really focused on is basically vending this flexible data infrastructure to businesses that are on Solana, you know, businesses that want to be on Solana, businesses that are interested in Solana, to help them engage with the blockchain, to help them plan their business, uh, to help them think about getting new customers or, um, or you know, developing a product that wouldn't be possible without basically specialized data infrastructure. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, it's... The, the data aspect is challenging, and especially on Solana. Could you talk to about some of the challenges of just trying to be a data provider on Solana? <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of data. Um, and so, uh, you know, basically it's, it's very expensive to have, to, you know, to store all of the data and to be able to um, uh, make it accessible in a low latency um, but still comprehensive way. So that, that in and of itself is quite difficult. Um, on top of that, um, there's so much flexibility in terms of how something can be constructed that basically every, every protocol, whether it's Magic Eden or um, Orca or, you know, Jupiter or, or any, other, any, any, other, any other program on Solana, um, they're all done differently and they all change all of the time. Uh, and so, you know, so I think, I think Magic Eden recently changed something in their contract. Uh, and so all of a sudden, you know, all floor prices are off until, until that's been kind of addressed. So basically there's a lot of data, um, and there are a lot of important programs and they all change every day. So I, I think that's probably the, you know, those are, those are two pain points. How, I mean... With those kind of changing so frequently and new things being added, uh, how hard is it, I guess, to like scale the data and the infrastructure layer? Yeah, so I think that's, I mean, the you know, as as it exists today, maintaining um, maintaining sort of up to date with what's happening with the protocols doesn't scale in the sense that um, in the sense that it's always changing and there's not something you can do to stop it from changing. Um, the good news is that, you know, the keeping up to date with that applies equally to everybody. Uh, and so, so that part of it scales for sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it makes sense. I, I think there's just a lot of uh, 
different challenges from coming from the data. Could you provide like a little bit more clarity on like, you said it's a lot. And Solana, I think, in our point of view, is really kind of the first iteration or first generation of these like next generation blockchains that are extremely high throughput. Um, and to us, it's kind of a requirement that chains be high throughput to really onboard the masses. But would you be able to provide like some uh, like numbers or anything behind the scenes that you guys have been observing with like Solana just because it is such high throughput? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we have many petabytes worth of data stored um, is, I guess, maybe the, the most simple way to, to frame it. Um, and not, not only is that stored, but it's also, you know, highly queryable, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, we've got we've got big, big AWS bills. <laughs> and and we're. And for like those that don't know what petabytes are, could you put those in context to like terabytes or gigabytes? And then how do you make all that data readable to like the average person or someone that's interested in pulling the data? Yeah, so I'm non-technical, so I, I had to Google this. So a petabyte is 1,024 terabytes or a million gigabytes. Um, a lot. I, yeah, so that's, uh, there's a lot, a lot of it. Um, and then what was the second part of the question? Um, I guess um, maybe backing up a little bit, just building the team and uh, finding these kind of technical people to help build Hello Moon in this infrastructure. Could you talk about like assembling the team and kind of your thoughts around it into building like the best infrastructure uh, on Solana? Yeah. So, so I think I think team is, is important. By the way, I, yeah, I'm non-technical, so I'm much much better position to talk about teams than I am to talk about petabytes. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I, you know, I'd spent like, again, almost a decade kind of first investing in companies and then working closely with them post-investment. Um, and, you know, I guess there were some things that I kind of picked up on. Um, and one of those things was that frequently companies will be built like in an ad hoc kind of, kind of scrappy way, which, which is, helpful from going to say zero to one, but then makes it very difficult to go from say one to 10. So for example, if you have an amazing team of junior developers who build an amazing product, um, it's, it's kind of painful to, you know, show up one day and say, Hey guys, great job building this product that the market loves, uh, meet your new boss. You know, he's going to tell you how to, how to keep doing it. Um, and so I watched just so many companies struggle with, um, struggle with, uh, various inflection points in scale. And so we tried to design the company in a way to avoid that. And, and so what we did is um, when we were putting together the team, we tried to at least initially only hire very, very senior engineers who were excellent at what they did, but also passionate about, um, about helping to, you know, be an early driver of turning a startup into a big company. And so we hired, you know, a, a, so many engineers and we did it so quickly. Uh, but most of the people who we hired were from, we hired mostly people from Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. Most of them were L6s or L7s, so staff or principal level engineers. Um, and that really, I think, was, was critical to our early success um, and certainly has made scaling a lot less painful than I'd anticipated. Um, and so, for example, you know, once we hit, once we got to the point where, you know, we started to need to have teams and hierarchy and things like that, you know, it wasn't about, you know, how do I find, you know, find somebody to manage people who were, you know, who, who built the company and more about, you know, how do I hire teams underneath, you know, these all-star developers to help leverage them and help get them to scale that they need to be even more effective. Um, and it turns out people are much more excited to hear, hey, we're hiring three junior developers to, you know, help support you as opposed to, um, hey, you got a new boss who doesn't know anything about the space, and uh, you know, so uh, that you know put put a lot of put a lot of uh, we're very very deliberate about that. I love the approach. Uh, definitely, uh, probably saved yourself a lot of headaches uh, towards the end. How so? I, one thing that I have found, I mean, kind of coming from the Web two world or Silicon Valley world, uh, previously being at Tesla, some of my coworkers. 
um, or a lot of them, I would say, even in Silicon Valley at the, the time, were a little apprehensive to kind of Web3 and blockchain. And especially if you're at one of those bigger tech companies, there's a lot of uh, reasons not to leave from like comp and stock. Did you find it difficult kind of recruiting engineers, especially at these like larger Silicon Valley tech companies to join you on a crypto startup or did, was that like relatively easy? Uh, it, honestly, it was real. It was actually very easy. Um, it was, it was, it was super easy. And it's funny. The first, the first, well, yeah, it was very easy. Um, and, and I'll, I'm and glad. I'll and I'll tell you what I did, but, uh, um, but I guess the first thing I'd say is that, um, you know, like startups are bumpy, you know, like it's, it's not a, it's not an, it's not an easy road for anybody. Even, um, you know, there's some super, I mean, there, there's some businesses and like, I'm not, I won't name names, but there's one business on Solana that I would guess has to be like top 10 most profitable startups in their first year of, in all human history. Um, but but even then it's it's always difficult um and so you know i we were the the story wasn't hey join the startup and you'll make way less money and you'll have way less stock but if the stock does really well then you'll do a little bit better than you otherwise would have that that was not the story at all um because the problem with that is that when things get bumpy you know people's you know spouses say hey why are you you know why are you working 18 hours a day for um you know uh, you know, on, on this thing. And so we were always, um, uh, I, you know, my, my philosophy was I'd rather have fewer engineers who are, you know, financially comfortable, um, and heavily incentivized than aligned from, from an equity perspective. Um, and so I guess the first thing that was helpful is that we were competitive on compensation with, um, you know, with the fan companies, et cetera, a, um, and then B, you know, basically the message was, look, like, what's your, you know, you're, you're going to get paid the same cash and in roughly similar equity, but with a lot more upside. Um, so, like, if things go well, then, you know, we're a this is a thousand X. And if things don't go well, um, you know, what's the opportunity cost isn't that big. Um, and then also, I guess, you know, just kind of <clears throat> tried to share what had caused me to be so enthusiastic, you know? Um, and uh, which was basically like, look, there's an opportunity to create, you know, a, a generational business here. Um, and that those opportunities come around, you know, once every 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, so yeah, no, but it was, it was shockingly, uh, shockingly easy. I'm glad uh, because I feel like uh, it can be much more difficult at some points of times, but uh yeah, the def the bull markets and like the beginning of kind of the upswing or expansion period in crypto definitely helps. But uh, glad to know that uh, it wasn't too challenging for you and the team. Yeah, I, I think there was only one candidate who we really wanted and didn't get, um, which is which is probably my fault. But you know, I basically I'd said to him I think in the first interview like, look, you know, he was like, can you you know can you can you be competitive on comp? And I was like, yeah, look, we'll do you know as much or close to what you're currently making, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we got to, you know, he'd interviewed with everybody. We we're ready to give him an offer. And he was like, yeah, I'm making, you know, a million and a half dollars a year in cash <laughs> at Google. Uh, and I was like, yeah, sorry. There's, uh, didn't realize you're that senior. So. <laughs> That's anyway, crazy. Um, other, other than that, I think, you know, we call it a 99% hit rate. So Nice. Perfect. Well, maybe jumping back to some of the metrics uh, with e what you have built at Hello Moon and uh, building that like core infrastructure data layer. What are some of the key things that excite you? I know you said earlier that you're pretty data driven yourself. Uh, what metrics that do you really enjoy tracking um, and things that you and the team are looking at? Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. It's, it's funny, you know, it changes. Um, it changes based on the meta, right? Um, so uh, unique signers, I think, is an interesting one. Um, I think first signers is also an interesting one um, to kind of give you a give you a sense for um, how many different wallets are doing things. Um, we also look closely at NFT volume. Um, so unique wallets buying and selling on the NFT side, um, but then also just kind of total NFT volume 
um, really kind of as a proxy for what's going on with consumers on Solana. Um, and those numbers actually have been phenomenal. So we, uh, we were working on a report with, uh, with Variant, which should be coming out early next week. But basically the punchline is, you know, even with a, a temporary move to no fees and no royalties on the NFT side, you know, wash trading only got as high as I think, you know, 20%, maybe, maybe a little bit higher and currently way, way less than that. And so basically what we saw is that on Magic Eden, uh, on, well, on Magic Eden, but also across, across every marketplace. Okay. And so basically kind of what we saw on the consumer side for NFTs was that, um, they had their own cycle outside of the Solana news cycle, outside of the, the price of soul, outside of FTX, et cetera. Um, and basically, what you, if you look closely at the NFT data, what you see is you see a bunch of people who love buying and selling JPEGs and love hanging out with each other. And there's really like the price of soul or FTX being in the headlines really didn't have a big impact. And to me, that's, that's, uh, that's critical because it shows a community that has staying power. Um, and if you look across other blockchains, um, you could say there's a similar dynamic on Ethereum, although Ethereum has been a lot more volatile um, with, with respect to that than, than Solana has. But then outside of Solana and Ethereum, um, you know, like those communities don't exist. Uh, so I, I think that's huge for Solana. You know, it's great for, you know, riding out the bear market. But I also think it's like an early seed for what's going to be a pretty crazy bull market on Solana, you know, hopefully a few months from now, but at least the next 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 few years. Definitely. Uh, a couple things there. I mean, how I I think if you're really plugged in like you are or I like we see these things, we see the community, we can follow the data, but like to the outside world, I mean, and we recently wrote about this, like there seems to be a disconnection. Um, so I guess my question is, how can we better tell like the Solana story and then um, following that, why do you think, I mean, Ethereum and Solana specifically have really kind of found their community and found their voice, but these other ecosystems have not? Yeah, gosh, the, um, the next, this, I'll, I'll start with the latter question. Um, this, maybe Eddie may, may want to edit this, this part out. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, I'll start with the latter, with the latter question, which is, um, I think actually very profound. Like, um, if you're thinking about, uh, the staying power of Solana, uh, I, I think it's, it's super significant. So I don't have exact numbers, but yesterday I saw that, um, SBF had stolen, I think at least $60 billion from his customers. And so, you know, the number, I think the number, the headline today is 8 billion, but what people forget is that a year ago, that 8 billion, you know, that's, you know, that's sold at $12 today, but you know, that was sold at $250, um, a year ago. And, and, and so, um, you know, like how did Solana get the community that it had? I think, I think there were a few things that happened all at the same time that basically caused lightning to strike and that created life. Um, and, and what those lightning strikes were was, you know, first of all, you had SBF basically, um, stealing billions of dollars from his users and using that to invest in ecosystem startups, which is terrible that it happened, but it did happen. Um, and you also had SBF basically market making on Solana, um, you know, again, with tens of billions of dollars. Um, so not only was there always liquidity, but they would, you know, market make at a loss because it wasn't their money that they were, they were losing and they were trying to attract even more money. Um, and then at the same time, they were very, influential uh, in the space. And so they were running this narrative of Solana as an Ethereum killer. And so basically like on the DeFi side, you had the biggest player in crypto running like the treasury of like Google, you know, through the Solana ecosystem every day and giving billions of dollars to, you know, to people to, to, to start businesses in the space. And then I think, and I think people forget about the second part um, all the time. But if you look at the Solana NFT side, at the same time that this was happening in DeFi, you know, um, there was, I would guess, probably a billion dollars worth of equity capital that was raised um, for Solana NFT specifically. 
So these numbers are not, they're, you know, just from the top of my head, these are not accurate, but directionally, I think, you know, Aurora raised $100 million of equity capital. I think Solchix raised $75 million of equity capital. Genesis Go and, and Shadowy Supercoders raised, I think, about $100 million of equity capital. Um, and so, and, and there were many other comparable examples of, you know, just huge amounts of money. And, and, uh, and it turns out if you have billions and billions of dollars of capital sloshing around, you know, people get interested and um, communities form, et cetera. And so when you look at these other layer ones that have launched in the last, you know, six months or so, um, you know, sure, they have like a few hundred million dollars in their treasury and things like that. But the reality is like, it's very difficult to, you know, it's very difficult to create that, that initial um, like shockwave that Solana had. Um, and it's, it takes a lot, I think it's, it takes a lot more than a few hundred million dollars in, in effect. Um, so, so anyway, I, I think that was important. Yeah. It, it's definitely hard to start a new ecosystem. Um, even if the tech is better or you're doing different technical trade-offs, it's very hard to build that organic community. And so it is impressive that Solana was able to do it. And I think people even today still underestimate the Solana community. And so that, that's why, again, like I really appreciate you and the voice that you have uh, in like the ecosystem on Twitter and being able to share some of these data and analytics with Hello Moon because it's not a story that I think gets told often. Um, but specifically on like some of like SBF's influence um, and like the market making and all that, some people could consider that kind of a negative and have considered it a negative yeah. for the Solana ecosystem um, and point to that as being a reason why the Solana community will not be around for um, the foreseeable future or prices and the community as a whole will not return to kind of the levels that they were at um, during the bull market. What do you think about kind of like some of those critiques or responses? Yeah. So, so um, I think those are also valid. Um, I, well, sorry, not, I, <laughs> I, I think, I think the idea that SBF and, and FTX was a net negative, I think, I think is also valid. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll have any lasting impact. So I guess the way that I think about that is that you had this just explosion of activity that created life, right? Uh, and that was really all that was needed. And then after that, you know, like this life can develop and emerge and, you know, evolve and mature over time. Um, and, uh, but the other thing is that like SBF and FTX, like have been, in, had been in trouble for a long time and basically had been, you know, really were not participating in the ecosystem other than to uh, like, effectively uh, um, be predatory towards all Solana DeFi protocols and um, like whether it's like rinsing out um, liquidity rewards, whether it's, you know, backing somebody and then uh, and then like, uh, you know, like destroying their token with perps like right after it launches, like like there are all kinds of like after this initial explosion, basically, I would say there were anywhere between like a mild net negative to like a massive net negative. Um, and certainly weren't, certainly weren't contributing anything. Um, and so like, I think it would have been difficult to have launched as vibrant of, of an ecosystem as Solana has today without that scale of, of capital. Um, but then that basically went away, you know, a long time ago. Um, and in, in its place, you had a lot of negativity. Um, and you also just had like these uh, super unhealthy, like specter, just like blocking out the sun in a lot of important ways. And so, you know, we talk, we, we spend a lot of time working with market makers. Um, and one thing that we hear all the time is that people had assumed that, you know, Solana was FTX's playground and, you know, they had this superior technology and, um, and maybe we're front running on their, on their own exchange. And so there was no point in getting involved. And so you basically have this uneconomic, um, uh, predatory capital that was really not there when there wasn't that much of it. Uh, and now there's basically, it's almost like a, there's like room for other things to grow. Um, yeah. so no, I think it's, I mean, like another way to think about it is like, imagine if the most important company in your space was Enron, 
and the most important thought leader was was Bernie Madoff. Like, yeah, it's, it's like awkward and embarrassing when that's when 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 people learn that that's the case. But it's super good for that to go away, uh, and it's, it's now gone away. So definitely, yeah. No, I I do agree, and I mean, we we've uh, at Frictionless have written extensively on this, trying to like fight a lot of this fud, and I mean, it, it is undeniable that FTX and uh, Sam were pretty pivotal in kind of jumpstarting the ecosystem. But I think to the degree, to the degree that they were involved towards the end. And as you mentioned, a lot of like the negative or predatory things that they were doing, um, were either, they kind of just like got into other ecosystems outside of Solana as well. And then, um, the things that they were doing were, Definitely not good. And so at least now, um, as you mentioned, being able to have other players kind of step in and kind of fill the void. And really, I mean, even from the community aspect, the community stepping in and filling the void, to me, it's very reminiscent of kind of the time where Ethereum uh, in 2017 went from like $1,400 down to $80. And then the community kind of rallied together with builders to actually move the ecosystem forward. And so it's very exciting and uh, it's cool to watch everybody and uh, the Hello Moon team kind of step up and tell Solana's story from the community aspect, which to me is even more exciting than like a single individual doing that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and, and the last thing I'd say on that, and this, I want to be very careful with that. So um, FTX and Alameda made a bunch of venture investments and they backed a lot of great companies, but they also did a ton of things that no uh, other VC would do. Like they backed a lot of other, a lot, a lot of like bullshit companies <laughs> and, and, did, and did a lot of other bullshit things that like created these confusing signals and, um, uh, like created this almost like zombie effect where like you had these companies that had like all this money from FTX, but weren't actually doing anything. But so, so yeah, I mean, it's, I think on that, it's, it's a huge positive to, um, to have rinse that out. Definitely. Well, maybe moving on kind of from like the FTX Lana saga to, uh, some of the other like metrics that you track, uh, could you talk about, I mean, so you said you kind of, it really depends on like the meta of the ecosystem um, and w pertaining to like what individual metrics that you are following. But on a high level, could you share, I mean, you have DeFi metrics, you have NFT metrics, you even do, I mean, the unique addresses on like the social layer. Can you talk a little bit about each and like why you've decided to like include or pull those metrics from the chain? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I, I think on for NFTs, uh, you know, volume is very important. And, and likewise for DeFi, I think swap volume is also very important. Um, so we look very closely at, um, we look very closely at how much swap volume is there every day on Solana? How many unique wallets are swapping? How spread out is that across, um, across the various, the various protocols? Um, so we look super closely at that. We also look closely at things like order book depths and basically like liquidity that's being that's that's being made available on chain um and and also you know basically like how active are, are market makers and where are they making markets uh things like that um so we look we look very closely at those and um again like it's a, it's, it's a mixed story right um and and it, or like you think of, it's, it's interesting the way you think about it. So um, Alameda used to do a huge amount of market making on Serum um, and they would just like spam, you know, like crazy volume that would never get, get filled and, th and things like that. Um, and so, you know, one, one thing that I look at closely and this, it's funny because this is a metric that's like gotten a lot of hate on Solana from, um, from, uh, or a lot of hate on Twitter from, uh, some people who aren't maybe aren't perfectly informed, but we, you know, I look closely at this uh, total value moved on chain um, metric, which which basically looks at all transfers that are happening on chain. And so, you know, um, pre FTX, you know, FTX was doing something like some crazy, it was like like half a trillion dollars or like a quarter of a trillion dollars a day of you know spamming orders on Serum. 
And again, most of these orders weren't met. And so this is not, this is not economic activity, but it is kind of on-chain liquidity at a specific price point that, you know, can be hit or not. Um, yeah. And what happened is the day that FTX or the day that like John Ray or whatever took over, you know, um, that basically drops to zero for Alameda. And, and I kind of look at that as um, opportunity for other people. Uh, and so um, we've seen those numbers kind of slowly tick up. Um, and again, we also speak with a number of market makers and work pretty closely with, with a good number of them. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it feels like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of room to, I mean, <laughs> for example, like you can do arbitrage trading on Solana today um, for things that are like, you know, five or six seconds or, you know, even longer old, which is crazy. So yeah, anyway, um, kind of a roundabout answer to the question, but. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I guess on the DeFi side of things, it's has definitely slowed down or uh, been much, much smaller than it once was. Are there any things that you're seeing from like the metric side that was like kind of making you excited again for like the ecosystem? Yeah, well, I mean, the, and this is like kind of painful to say, but the numbers are down from where it was, but also those were fake numbers. You know, that sure. was like, um, like Saber doing, that was like, you know, if you, if you add Saber and FTX, like you get like a shocking amount of like fraud and, and manipulation of numbers and, and things like that. Um, and so like, did that, that it's unclear if that ever even happened. I mean, like the, the fraud part happened, but underneath it, it's hard to say how it like, well, like, for, I mean, this, I, this would be almost impossible to delineate, but like, if there was some way to like peel back all of that, like maybe even like DeFi has been up into the right, I don't know. Um, but, but so we looked closely at, like there are a bunch of amazing DeFi protocols on Solana that I think are kind of leading the way today and that are going to, be like breeding grounds for for new new protocols um so one example of that would be orca um so orca has a uh well, uh uh like like basically whirlpools i think are this this crazy opportunity for um people to uh make a lot of money placing liquidity uh so anyway i guess i guess if you take a step back we look closely at the health of orca we look closely at the health of Jupiter, um, and uh, and like basically what you see is crazy innovation from those teams. You see a lot of volume. You see like yeah, I guess so. We see all kinds of exciting things from there. And I think what's happening with OpenBook is very exciting. What's happening with um, Ellipsis is very exciting. Um, and so I guess I guess with DeFi, it's less about the numbers and more about the teams um, in the future. And, and I'm yeah. more excited about that. Yeah, no, uh, we're, we're big fans of Orca and what they're doing as well. They've been around for uh, some time. I initially met their team at the first breakpoint event in 2021 and was super impressed. And uh, they definitely continue to iterate super quickly. Uh, so there's there are a lot of parties that uh, we're excited to watch and continue to kind of move the ball forward in 2023. Um one thing that you are also working on is kind of uh, a little bit of alpha here is a new product launch. Um, and could you tell us a little bit more about like what you're working on and what will be launching fairly soon? All right. By the time this comes out, uh, have already launched. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, you know, as I mentioned kind of earlier in the conversation, um, we're best known for our website. But the reality is, you know, only a small fraction of our engineering resources go into that. Um, and it's the only part of our business that we're kind of not not monetizing today. Um, and so basically, we've been working very closely with a bunch of protocols on Solana, um, you know, news organizations, um, protocols that are not, you know, that are big on ETH but want to be on Solana, and even other, other L1s and L2s who want to learn about Solana. Um, but we've been doing all that in stealth mode. Um, and so historically, you've only been able to like engage with the actual Hello Moon products, you know, if you are one of those major protocols or basically kind of a major business. Um, and so what we're going to be rolling out next week, <laughs> hopefully Monday, hopefully Tuesday, uh, um, ho you know, ho hopefully, hopefully early next week, um, 
is basically going to be a um, like a self-service version of of those product suites that anybody can use. Um, and so, if you want to build your own version of HelloMoon.io, you know, um, we'll make that very easy. But I think I think more importantly, if you want to build anything else, or if you want to have access to the same kind of data infrastructure and data technology that um, that all these other you know large businesses have had. Um, we're basically opening it up. Some of it will be no code. Some of it will require code. Um, and so excited to kind of share that with the community to help um, help launch kind of the next wave of, you know, businesses on Solana. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I feel like in some sense, like on Ethereum, for example, like a lot of people go to like Dune Analytics and try to pull like specific data and help that use that data to help fight the fight. And so as much as you can kind of arm the degens, so to speak, uh, it is super helpful and um, extremely helpful for the community. So congrats on the upcoming launch. I know when I was shipping products, it was always a little stressful kind of uh, crossing your T's and dotting your I's right before the product launch, but uh, uh, wishing you all the best and uh, excited for that. Um, is there any like, so you said some of it will be kind of like a no code solution. Uh, some of it will be like a little bit more engineering heavy. Could you talk about like the non coding solution and like some of the product or the features that you'll have there? Yeah. So basically, um, uh, and again, I'm, this is, this has been tough for me because I'm like a tough product for me to be involved with because I'm not a developer. And so I can, I really can't use any of this, but, um, but so basically you'll be able to point and click. And, um, if you want to get, uh, like if you want to have like a discord bot that says, you know, smart money is buying, um, Solana monkey business, you know, you can point and click and with like three clicks, you know, you should be able to, uh, set that up. Um, or, you know, so like, so I guess for like the, you know, even like on the consumer side, that's, you know, you know, hopefully, hopefully pretty interesting. But then also like if you're running a protocol and you want to, to, to track like, uh, you know, our liquidations happening, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can point and click and get that too. Um, and nice. so it should be, should be, yeah, hopefully pretty comprehensive. That's awesome. Amazing. Um, oh, very cool. Maybe jumping back a little bit to, I mean, at what, what point in time did you start Hello Moon? And I guess from that like beginning experience to kind of some of your thoughts being a founder in the ecosystem, what were like the large lessons that you have learned from like building a crypto team, um, especially kind of over the past over the past couple of years with like the bull market and now the bear market, like yeah. oper operational excellence in like Web3? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think, I think the first thing that I think probably the most, honestly, the most important thing that I learned. So I've been thinking about entrepreneurship for a while and I, and I'd always thought of it as something that I kind of had to build toward and had to, you know, have, you know, experience doing X, Y, Z before, before that was, that was something that I could do. Um, and, uh, I think that was wrong. And so I think that if I would have, if I would have founded Hello Moon, you know, five years ago or six years ago, um, you know, I think, I think that probably we would have done just as well. Uh, and so I guess to any, any aspiring entrepreneurs out there, um, you know, like there's something to be said for, you know, getting experience, but probably the best way to get experience is just doing what you want to do. Um, and so the biggest lesson I would say is that, you know, it's out there. And if you come up with a plan that makes sense to you and feels achievable to you, and then you go achieve it, um, you know, then you, you'll have done what you wanted to do. Right. Uh, um, so, so first of all, I would say that, um, second of all, I'd say, uh, it's very important to listen to your users. Um, and so before you've launched the product, you know, there are various ways you can do that. It obviously gets much easier when you have actual users. <laughs> um, but so listening to your users and understanding, um, what do they want? What are their pain points? Um, that's, I mean, it's, 
it's very intuitive and it's kind of, it's kind of common sense, but definitely is, is, uh, is, is very important. Um, Oh, I, you know, something else I would say is that you really want to be thoughtful about economies of scale and you want to be, and you want to be thoughtful about what scales and what doesn't. And any startup business is going to have to do lots of things that don't scale, but figuring out what does scale is very important. And so I think probably the most pressing example of that would be going cross chain. Um, and so, you know, supporting multiple chains and, and, you know, the reality is that that's a very complicated business maneuver. And, uh, you, uh, get diseconomies of scale. I think for everything other than if you're building a pitch book, um, where you get a huge economies of scale. And so, um, when you're thinking about, or I guess, I guess kind of like to, 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 another way to think about it is that when you're thinking about a business, like, you know, you don't necessarily want to be, you know, like if, if your total addressable market is say, you know, $200 million and you have $10,000 of revenue, um, you know, maybe you should be more focused on trying to capture some of that hundred million dollars of existing addressable market, as opposed to opening up what you're doing so that you have, you know, all of a sudden $300 million of addressable market, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, that's a few things that have set up. Oh, I mean, it, this kind of goes without saying, but, uh, as well, but like, as it relates to kind of curating your, t the team, um, like, you know, if you have, like, if you have people who, and it feels like they're not fully contributing or they're not carrying their weight in the same way that other people are, um, that's probably the case. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and you don't, you don't have to wait, uh, you don't have to wait, you know, eight months, you know, for it to be, you know, definitively proven. Also. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, some good advice there. Uh, one thing that you, I definitely agree with like doing what you want to do initially. I think a lot of people try to take like the circuitous path where they're like, Oh, I want to be a founder, but I need to join this company and this company and this company, or I want to, uh, be an investor, but I need to do this, this and this, but I fully would reiterate kind of just jumping into it and learning. You definitely learn a lot and can be overwhelming, but, uh, I think you learn quicker and you get to the point of what you actually want to do faster as well. Maybe on the point of like, I mean, a couple of times, I think you mentioned uh, just being a non-technical founder, but you've really kind of reiterated the fact like of building a awesome team and having them uh, all aligned towards like a single vision and building like a really awesome product. What would your words of like wisdom or what have you learned from being like a non-technical founder in the space and advice to others, um, non-technical people that want to get involved into like the crypto industry or build a product? Yeah, that's a great question. And let me just kind of caution that despite being a non-technical founder, I, I did have almost a decade of experience of hiring and maintaining like, um, uh, teams in software. Um, but so, uh, so, so I, I would, I would flag that, but I mean, look at the end of the day, if, 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 if the CEO of a company is writing, writing code, um, then, uh, that's, well, that's just not, that's not, that's not like the, the job of a CEO. Um, you know, and, and so I, like, I really wouldn't think of it as too big of a, of a barrier. I think, I think being a technical founder actually cuts in both ways. I think, going from like zero to like 0 0.01, it's very helpful to be a technical founder because you can, you know, build the, like the prototype of the product or something to that effect. But then after that, you have to watch out because if you don't pull yourself out of that, um, out of, you know, doing, you know, manual labor, uh, it's going to be very difficult to build your business. And so, yeah, I guess what I'd say is if you're a non-technical founder, I wouldn't, it certainly has not been a burden, um, for me, and so what I'd say is focus on um, hiring only excellent people. You know, so one thing that was huge for us is that we hired like the first 
mean, every every engineer we hired was amazing, but the first five engineers we hired were just mind-blowingly amazing. And that made my life easy because I didn't have to worry, like, is this person, you know, is this person we're interviewing, are they good technically? Because my engineers would not stand it if they weren't, you know? Uh, and, and so, like, that, like, I, I think if you're non-technical, it's important that you get your first few technical hires right because that sets the tone for everything else. And um, actually, go, a question you asked earlier was how do we how do we recruit all of these um, you know institutional type um, engineers to Solana? And you know sometimes when I would do a, a, a first interview, people would be a little skeptical, and so I would just put them. Like the next interview, I just have it be with our most senior engineer, and they were never skeptical again. Like it was kind of like, oh, <laughs> that guy, um, you know, like if that guy was, you know, a, a principal engineer at Google and doing what he was doing, you know, if, if this is exciting to him, you know, maybe he should be exciting to me too. Uh, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I think, all valuable insights. Uh, there's no perfect path. And I, think everybody's story is kind of unique in the fact that like how they journey into blockchain, how they ultimately kind of go against the grain and ultimately decide to build something. And so I think it's fascinating kind of coming from that operational background, but still having uh, that tech sense uh, and being able to build a company. I think it's uh, important to share with others as well. Maybe kind of wrapping up the podcast, um, going into 2023, uh, or we're in 2023, but what are the things that you're looking forward to for this year? Um, anything on like the metric side, anything on like the community? What, what gets you excited? Yeah, so, um, well, I'm, I'm just so excited for time to pass. We like are such big believers in the future of crypto and the future of Solana that um, the more time passes, I think the the, um, the more established the ecosystem will be. But for me, I guess I'm I, I'm most excited about uh, two two things. Um, so I'm most excited about royalties becoming enforceable again on Solana. So that's huge. Um, you know, before uh, royalties went away, there was something like five hundred thousand dollars a day of cash that was being distributed to thousands of NFT teams, um, several NFT marketplaces. Uh, you know, and, uh, and that is incredibly important for an ecosystem. Like it turns out that it's very difficult to run a business, um, with no revenue. Um, and so getting, getting, uh, getting royalties back in, in place, I think is going to be huge for the ecosystem a, and I think B, um, uh, if you look at Solana DeFi today, like if you want to, if you want to build a Solana DeFi protocol and launch a token and get traction immediately, like you know, it's it's a lot easier to do that for if you're an NFT collection, right? You can you can um, launch in Magic Eden, you can leverage their installed base, um, you can leverage their credibility. You're, you're definitely going to sell out. You're definitely going to get hype. Um, but there's there's no kind of equivalent on for DeFi, and so. Um, one thing I've been kind of evangelizing among um, my friends who run DeFi protocols is like, hey, let's get a launch pad together for DeFi where, you know, new teams can launch and get traction quickly, get, you know, interest quickly. Obviously, you know, like 95% of NFT projects fail. I assume 95% of, of these projects would fail too. But the point is that the 5% that remain are, uh, are, are hugely valuable. So I think if Solana can get royalties down and can find a way to um, like, like, you know, wear down a path for new DeFi businesses to, um, to launch. I think, you know, I think we'll, I think we'll flip Ethereum. <laughs> uh, so neither, neither is easy, but, uh, but I think the, the impact on the market will be huge. Yeah. I am definitely excited for time just to pass as well. I think people in my point of view really don't understand uh, how Solana is architectured or the design and the architecture and how advanced it is to especially Ethereum um, and these other blockchain ecosystems. It's really kind of night and day difference. Um, and I'm excited, I mean, that people use it. I think that's like the biggest thing that gets me excited. There is such a vibrant community uh, building back kind of like a strong DeFi ecosystem 
um, and getting people using blockchains because I, it really is kind of, in my opinion, the coolest thing that's going on in tech, uh, like self custody, uh, being able to have the technology be global. It's, it's fascinating. And Solana really enables that for the masses. And I really appreciate everything that you and the team are doing at hello moon, being able to provide that data, uh, showcase that, uh, unique signers, all the things that are going on with NFTs, all the things that are going on with DeFi. Uh, it's extremely important and you're really playing like a critical role in the ecosystem. And so really appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing a lot of your wisdom that you've learned from growing a team to building a company uh, and all the things that it takes to be successful in Web3. So thank you so much, Walker. Of course. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you again. And uh, excited to uh, watch what happens in 2023. Likewise.